The time was 1880s. A mechanical engineer, Frederick Winslow Taylor, was working in a factory when he observed problem with the workflow. Yes, well before anyone knew what that term was. He noticed that in a factory where things were supposed to be produced consistently, yet workers themselves were inconsistent. Some were smart, some were dumb, some were lazy and some were hard workers. You could apply a series of workplace rules to all of them, but you would not get consistent results due to difference in their ability and motivations. He was annoyed that laborers were not working as efficiently as they could. So he began to measure their output and analyze these findings. On a mission to make human labor more efficient, Taylor conducted extensive research into the interaction between workers and their tool. Out of his several researches, the shovel experiment is one that is most common, where he went about finding the exact poundage a shovel can hold by making workers to move a pile of dirt from one place to another for several nights. He recorded all their data till he got the right number. As he did so, he began to document these theories under a school of thought called scientific management, and Taylorism was born. But with that, born another important aspect or concept of design, quantitative research. I'm Priya Saraswath, and welcome to Immersive Experiences, where we will continue our journey from the last episode and dive into 19th century to find our roots. Industrial Revolution was a historic time. With the introduction of mechanical machines, everyone was after mass production, but no one was thinking about the efficiency of the whole process. Taylorism was the first theory of management to focus specifically on analyzing and optimizing the process. It is the attempt to make business decisions on the basis of data that is researched and tested quantitatively. Rather than using common sense or rules of thumb, Taylor believed in applying science of data to work and research the best way to solve any problem. I think the connection between Taylor's approach based on data and our existing quantitative methods in design, it is pretty obvious. Data is the key to identify behavior of our users. It is also an important source to identify the patterns that inform design of any product. Another important piece of Taylor's work was time and motion studies, which means the least amount of time to perform a task. Very similar to the time on task approach that we use while testing our designs with our users. We want our users to complete the task in least amount of time so that they could be more efficient while using our product. With all these good things, there were certain conflicts that were attached to the time and motion studies, especially treating humans as machines and repetitive and mundane work. So Taylorism was not popular among everyone at that time. The guy who took the concept of Taylorism and moved it to next level was Henry Ford, the owner of Ford Company. He improvised the whole concept and used it for mass production, as a result of which he was able to bring down the production of his cars from 12 hours to 93 minutes. 
And yes, there was a time when a car was coming out of the assembly line after every 11 minutes. The concept which was later known as Fordism. Despite several difficulties, I think Taylorism can still be credited with contributing a lot of techniques that we use today in product management and design thinking. For example, analysis and mapping the workflow at the very beginning of the process. Standardization and use of best practices throughout the product development. Quality over quantity and knowledge transfer are few others to code. Continuing on the quest for workplace efficiency, let's move a little farther around 1940s, when Toyota was developing their famous human-centered production system. Unlike Taylorism, the Toyota production system was based upon respect for human. They paid a lot of attention to create an optimal working environment. Not only that, human input was considered very crucial and also was actively encouraged. Toyota factory workers could pull a car to stop the assembly line if they had feedback or suggestion to improve the process. It is nothing but usability testing in action. Toyota example can also be related with our attempts to get user feedback early and often in the design process. All these industrial design examples were a key step in UX history as they really brought attention to the importance of how humans interact with machine. Talking about machines, almost around the same time, a guy named Alan Turing was building the very first theoretical computer. He was not just any guy. His theory of computation opened the doors to the ever-growing field of computer science that we live and breathe today. All the digital experiences that we are designing today are the result of that particular invention. When Allen introduced the Turing test in 1950, his motivation was to introduce a concept of machine intelligence or artificial intelligence as we know it today. He wanted to provide some sort of definition for what it means for a machine to think. Today, as we see machines are getting smarter at things we previously thought only humans can do, it is becoming clear that Turing test was not just a test for general intelligence. Tricking a human into thinking you are a human too is what Turing lead us into. And in this world of Alexa, Google Home, Cortana and Siri, the chances are that you are interacting with an intel artificial intelligence system on a daily basis. Thinking about the experiences for all these technologies makes our role more challenging as designers. But again, if it wasn't Alan Turing, we probably won't be able to imagine a world like this. Forget about designing the experiences. But let's keep talking about past for a couple of more minutes before we touch on all these amazing aspects of our present and future as designers. So how many of you actually know that long before the term UX was coined, a book called Designing for the People was published in 1955? That book contained these specific lines. If the point of contact between the product and people become a point of friction, then the designer has failed. On the other hand, if people are made safer, more comfortable, more eager to purchase, 
then the designer has succeeded. Yes, I know half of you must be thinking, like, are you reading these lines from 1980 or 1990s rather than 1955? No, it's actually lines from that, that book that got published in 1955. But if digital content publishing and networking existed 60 years ago, who knows, industrial designer Henry Dreyfus would have been a household name among UX designers. Founding father of industrial design and one of the most prolific designers of the past century, Henry taught us to take into account the emotional aspect of design. He focused on research as a key component in understanding users' habits and social expectations. There was another name in history who touched upon the emotional aspect of design. And the name is Walt Disney. In 60s, Walt Disney inspired people everywhere around the world to use technology to focus on bringing joy in people's life. Disneyland was, and still is, a masterclass in the art of immersive narrative. When you are in any Disneyland, you are not only experiencing someone guiding you through the story, but you are the main character of that story. The key to the whole Disney Park experience is immersion. Everything from cast members waving and smiling at you to your favorite characters guiding you through different journey, Disney has created this seductive experience that visitors felt that they can't resist. Isn't it a classic case of user-centered approach? At one point in history, Disney also described a plan called as Epcot, which means Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Yes, the idea was to create an experimental prototype that is always in a state of becoming a place where the latest technology can be used to improve the life of people. If that is not what UX is in nutshell, I don't know what it is. Another important aspect of digital design is visuals. But long before we knew what graphical user interface was, there were people in our history who were working towards creating those elements. Few names worth mentioning are Ivan Sutherland, who is a common name in CAD programming. He developed Sketchpad and also gave us the very first computer-aided design program. Another important name worth mentioning is Douglas Engelbart. One of the pioneers of internet and inventor of computer mouse, he gave us the concept of hyperlinks. I don't think I can imagine a world without hyperlink. <laughs> However, Xerox Park was the first to combine all these elements to introduce the very first commercial graphical user interface. Honestly, I wasn't familiar with Xerox Park before I went and did research for this whole episode. And that's where I thought, like, it's worth mentioning the contribution that Xerox Park has in the most important aspect of our design process today, which is visual design. Xerox Park introduced user interface that consisted of graphical elements such as windows, menus, radio buttons, and checkboxes. Later, they also introduced the concept of icons. So in many ways, Park set up the tone for the use of visual elements in the design process as we know it today. 
And as we are moving closer to the 21st century, I guess the name you will hear now are pretty common. And you might have known these people and personalities like forever. The latest and greatest is in 1988 when this book called The Psychology of Everyday Things got published, which later got updated to The Design of Everyday Things. This book continues to be a UX design staple from that time till this day. Don Norman, he not only coined the term user experience, but also introduced a larger concept that experience and design are not two different things when we think about product. But we also know from our journey, the expedition that we just came from, that our history has contributed in a lot of knowledge that we use today. In the past 30 years, design and designers have come a long way. Statistically, the number of UX professionals grew from about 1,000 people to about 1 million people today, a growth factor of 1,000. It's a time when UX is a mainstream job, but it won't be inessential to say that this tree is built on pretty strong roots and is really thriving and will thrive for centuries in one form or other with one name or another. So, this was a quick sneak peek into the history and a glimpse of the definition of design at different times in our history. Every personality, concept, and situation we touched in this and last episode are a portion of who we are as designers today and why we believe that design, if done right, can solve any problem. I hope this conversation was helpful and sparked your interest to learn more about some of the things and people in history that contributed to our knowledge in our design field today. And this brought us to the very end of this episode. But in our next episode, we'll start our conversation around the present state of UX and what we designers are up to. Last but not the least, if you like this podcast, I'll highly appreciate if you'll share it with your friends, family, designers, non-designers, people who are passionate about design like you and me. Why? Because sharing is caring. On that note, stay tuned for more and keep those creative juices flowing.